0: Scripture reading today is from Ephesians chapter 4. Like many of Paul's letter, Ephesians, first half, you could say is a lot of theology, a lot of good theology. And the second half is the application of that theology to our lives as God's people. And so Paul is telling us here that we need need to live as God's people. He says, children of light, we need to live in this way. And starting in chapter 4, verse 25, he says this, Therefore, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. We're members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. the discontent, the anger of of some people who were in our prison system. They're suing the system. They're not happy. For example, they're being served chunky peanut butter instead of smooth. And the mail's being delivered at at the wrong time when they're napping. They're being forced to listen to country music. I'd have to agree with that. (sighs) But last year, there were over 39,000 Lawsuits filed from behind bars because they're upset, they're angry. It seems today that everyone's angry about something. Some are referring to this period we're living in as as an age of rage. Everybody is mad at something. You know, if (sighs) don't want to get political, but some people were really mad at President Trump when he was in office. And if you weren't mad at him, then you were mad at the people who were mad at him. Now President Biden is in office, and people are mad at him, and if you're not mad at him, then you're mad at the people who are mad at him, and it just keeps going. But people today want to hide their rage. We use words like we're upset, we're discontent, we're frustrated, we're anxious. We'll say anything, but we don't want to say we're angry. I read an interview in a U.S. News & World report, talked about a 102-year-old artist They painted alongside another famous artist, Claude Monet. And she was talking about the spiritual side of her life. This was very important to her, and so she said this. My spiritual vision means everything to me. I'm against all war. It doesn't solve anything. I have this great interest in the world and in people. And it annoys me so that as I sit here, a little old lady, I who do not believe in violence would like to have cannons shooting at the people I don't approve of. You ever get mad? I think we're so used to it, it doesn't seem like a severe transgression. But the Bible makes it clear it can be a serious offense. And here in Ephesians 4, Paul offers us, I'm going to look at six truths. I'm not going to look at every verse here, but six truths from Scripture we need to keep in mind. 426, because we're members of one body, Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Anger, in and of itself, is not a sin. God gets mad in the Bible, Jesus gets mad. And so it doesn't tell us not to get angry, but when you're mad, don't do what? Don't sin. Now we could talk about the difference between righteous and unrighteous anger, right? There are some things that that should upset us and make us mad. The things that should make God angry. But all too often we confuse that with unrighteous anger. Paul says, watch out, watch out. And we need to find out why we are angry, what lies behind it, before we do something else. Don't let your anger lead you into doing something, or especially saying something that is sinful. Most of us most of us here drive. we've been driving for years cars, trucks, SUVs. And we all know what it's like when the little warning light goes on on your dashboard that tells you you better get to a gas station. And that really bugs me. It has a habit of coming on when I'm sometimes in the middle of nowhere. Or I just passed the last exit. And the next exit's 50 miles away. So what would you think if I told you I'm going to go to the dealer and have them take out the light? Huh? Pretty good idea, huh? Or I'm just going to fix it myself. I'm going to get a piece of black tape and put it over the light so I never have to look at it. And you say, that's ridiculous, Joe. See, my problem's not the little red light. My problem is the empty gas tank. And if I, if I ignore this warning, soon I won't be going anywhere at all. And for many of us, our problem is not anger. It's what lies behind it. They say anger is a, is a secondary emotion, but it's the one that comes out. It's often brought on by something else. Often there's hurt. Someone has done something or says something that, that hurts our feelings. We can be experiencing physical pain, emotional suffering. It can be relational conflict, like when someone rejects us or doesn't like our idea. How dare they? If we look closely, we'll detect a fair amount of pride behind our anger. I mean, driving up today, all those tourists got in my way. Pulling fifth wheels and campers bigger than my house, right? Man, man. And there were two lines open at the bridge. Well, how come the other one always goes faster than mine? And the ones in front of me, they got to be talking about the weather. Don't they know who I am and where I'm going? So, so we feel we deserve better, right? We're, we're better than the way we're being treated. Often a, a second route is frustration. Things, things aren't going my way, like I said, right? I have so much to do, I have to go shopping, I have to run all these errands, the checkout line hasn't moved, my kids never do what I tell them, and so I feel helpless. I get frustrated. Fear can trigger strong feelings. You remember when Jesus and the disciples were in the boat going across the Sea of Galilee, and what was Jesus doing when the storm came up? He was sleeping, right? He was sleeping. And they woke him up. They were demanding, teacher, don't you care if we drown? How does Jesus deal with this? He doesn't say, why are you so angry? He says, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? We're grumpy as we're paying bills. Because we may not have enough to make ends meet sometimes. Our kids have a curfew. We tell them when they need to be home. And what happens when they're 15 minutes late? We can get worked up. Not, not because they broke the rule, but because I thought something could have happened to you. Right? It takes, takes a parent to understand that. Sometimes we resent our bosses because their decision can eliminate our jobs. It's fear. So when we're angry, often we should ask the question, why are we like this? What's the real issue? And we need to focus on it with God's help. Back in, back in verse 26... Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. young couple had been married just a couple months. They had their first argument. One night while they were going to bed. So the husband stomped out of the room and he he slammed the door. He slammed it so hard, there was a little plaque they had on the wall. It, It fell off and hit the ground. It was one of these, bless this this home, bless our home type of plaques. How appropriate. When we go to bed angry, we can wake up angrier because it's become a, a settled disposition. It's something we haven't dealt with. Paul says, take care of it today. Don't let it, don't let it take a hold of our hearts. You're watching a baseball game. Your favorite team, I'm going to assume it's the Tigers. It's a close game comes down to the last, the last play, and the umpire makes a bad call. Yeah, and you know it's a bad call. The announcers call it a bad call. And then you see replays from five different angles over and over of the bad call. Then you're watching the postgame show. What do they talk about? The bad call. Turn on the 11 o'clock news. What do they talk about? The bad call. The next day in the newspaper, the bad call. It just keeps going. This is what our mind does in a situation that causes anger. If we fall asleep thinking about it, it's probably going to be the first thing in our mind the next morning. And I think our our media-crazy society contributes to this. If something bad happens, what's what's on the news 24-7? Disasters, earthquakes, shootings, an incident of some kind, it's replayed over and over before our eyes and ears. Now these things upset me too. Last January 6th was the worst birthday of my life. Does that ring any bells? Came home from work, my wife said, you should see what's going on. I got the TV on. It was the Capital rights, or whatever you want to call it, we watch it for ten minutes, and I said, "We're going to turn it off. <laughs> We're not going to watch it all night. It's just going to aggravate us. It's overwhelming." I'm glad for channels like TV Land that show replays of Gilligan's Island and Andy Griffith. <laughs> they can calm me down. Now remember, what's what's said in church stays in church, and I can emote here. I don't bring my wife. <laughs> I'll have to bring her sometime so you can meet her. My my dear mother-in-law watches the news all day long. And of course, for years now, the news and the elections have been pretty nasty. And I could tell the days that my wife went over to visit her parents. (laughs) Because at the dinner table, she would say things like, do you know what the senator said? Do you know what the president did? And so on and so forth. I knew where my wife had been because we don't keep up on the news like that. We, we know what's going on, but we don't keep up on it like that. Remember, what's said in church stays in church. So if this behavior persists in our lives, we can become angry. It's not that we get angry. We, we are angry, right? We're, we're just upset. And it becomes our, our characteristic attitude. We become walking time bombs with short fuses ready to go off on someone. Maybe it's the mood you came home from work, right? You had a really bad day at work. And sometimes it's, it's not turned out on on others, but we, we stuff it. We turn it in on ourselves. And you've heard of Dr. Paul Meyer, Minnith Meyer Clinics, right? Right. Uh, He's a Christian psychiatrist, best-selling author. He says anger is probably responsible for 95% of depression. That's high. Remember Jonah? God asked Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh, the wicked city of Nineveh, and preach against it, and Jonah refused. He did not want to because he wanted them to get their just desserts. He wanted God to destroy them. God got his attention in the deep blue sea in the belly of the whale. Jonah went to Nineveh. The people repented and turned to God, and everybody was happy except Jonah. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. And look at what it says in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah, he prayed to the Lord. He said, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. You know, I went to the other side of the world. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow. The scripture tells us that Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. He was so angry with God for not destroying them. His his anger became his settled disposition, right? It became his attitude. He became a pouting prophet. And the Old Testament story concludes with Jonah asking God to let him die. That's depression. That's anger turned inward. Don't sleep with anger. Don't let it linger. Don't let it become your personality trait. And I want to talk for a moment about being angry at God. Jonah was mad at God. So were a lot of people in the Bible. But no one would ever admit that they are angry at God. After all, God, God is God. But He's also relational, He's personal. He knows us, He understands us. We get angry at our parents, our, our spouses, our kids, our bosses, friends, neighbors. But, but no one would ever admit they get upset, they get mad at God. We go through our lives, and, and it's not easy problems, health issues, our family members, our friends, they're hurting, and we pray and pray, we wonder if God hears us, and we can, we can become upset, but we just stuff it. We don't want to admit it. We, we don't want to face it. When our spiritual life suffers, we can start to back off from church, from prayer, from the scriptures, from what we should be doing as God's people let me tell you, the best thing you can do is, is to tell God you're angry and admit it. Tell Him that's how you're feeling and you want to work through it. You want to work through it with Him. I, um, God's omniscient. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He can take our anger and disappointment. We, we can't hide it from Him. He wants us to be honest. This side of eternity, life is hard. But God has said He'll go with us. He'll take us through it. In verse 27, Paul says, Do not give the devil a foothold. In your anger, do not sin. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anger in and of itself may not be sinful, but it can give the devil a a foothold in the door of our lives. And when that door's left open, there's no telling what will come through. Do you know the first story of anger in the Bible? First story of anger. Two brothers, Cain and Abel. They both brought sacrifices to God. God accepted Abel's, he rejected Cain's sacrifice. Cain became angry that God, but Abel would pay the price. Abel would pay the price. Here's what it says. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. It's a question of control. It desires to have you, but you, you must master it. Cain opened the door. Anger came into his life. Sin took control. And Cain murdered his brother. Think about it. People will be be murdered today because someone's angry. Others will die from physical ailments resulting from or aggravated by their angry feelings. Right? It's it's not good for our health. Many people die in anger-related auto accidents, it's called road rage. How many deaths today will take place because of just, just anger and the lack of control? How many shootings this week? And how many relationships die little by little as, as anger gnaws, gnaws away at that relationship and it replaces love and trust? Anger, is, it's a devastating force. I, we know that, right? We know that. But its consequences often aren't, aren't looked at. Proverbs 14.17 An angry person does foolish things. Yeah. Yeah. Proverbs 29.22 A hot-tempered man commits many sins. Alexander the Great, one of the greatest military leaders who ever lived. If you start in the upper left-hand corner, he was from Macedonia in the space of several years. They didn't fly around or take trucks. His men marched down into Egypt, across the Middle East, over to the edge of India. He devised all of his strategies. He fearlessly led his troops. He put himself in mortal danger time and time again. But what most people don't realize is he couldn't conquer himself. A dear friend of his named Cletus, who was also a general in the army, became intoxicated. He was drunk. He started to ridicule him for some reason in front of the men. Alexander was blinded by anger, and he grabbed a spear And he threw it at Cletus, and he was was an expert warrior. He just meant to scare him, but his aim was true, and he took his friend's life. He was overcome with guilt, and he tried to take his own life. Only the intervention of his men prevented this. For days, he lay sick, calling for his friend, calling himself a murderer. Alexander the Great conquered many cities. He conquered many countries, but he could not conquer himself. He opened the door. Anger came through. Other things followed. Satan gained a foothold. Verse 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Unwholesome talk, bad words, are like a weapon in the life of an angry person. It's too easy, too easy to say something. Proverbs 12, 18 says our words are like the, like swords, sharp weapons. We can destroy people with our language. In warfare, there's a serious problem called friendly fire, friendly fire. So when you fire weapons at your own side, it's, it's mistaken identity. That's the culprit. But words are like that. We're to use our language, it says, to build others up, to edify them. But all too often, it's like friendly fire because we lose control and we tear them down. And it's so true. You can quickly destroy a relationship that's been built upon years of love and trust. Angry words are like that. We underestimate their destructive capability. It's critical that we begin to guard our words. A well-controlled mouth can neutralize anger. Proverbs 15.1 A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So many Proverbs, so many scriptures talk about our words, our language, what we say. We can either cool down or steam up a situation. Verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. With whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Maybe I shouldn't mention this, but in August, the football season's gonna start back up. With high school and college, and then the pros. And on a football team, there's there's lots of coaches. Lots of coaches. They're working with the, the skilled players, all the players at different positions. They want you to play better as a team. Well, watch, you watch a game, player gets mad. He loses control and what happens? He he commits a foul. The yellow flag comes out. Who pays the price? Not, not the player, unless they go too far and get ejected. But the whole team pays the price for what happens. The entire team is affected. So the game ends, the coaches talk to you, you gotta stay cool, you gotta stay calm, you know, come over to the bench, do whatever. You don't want to hurt your team. But in the next game, you get mad again. The same thing happens. And all all the coaching in the world won't make any difference. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit as a sort of a resident coach in our lives. When we humble ourselves before God, we acknowledge our sin and our need for a Savior. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us. His mission is to improve our game so that we can play like Jesus Christ to be more like Him. But every time we get angry and we sin, we forget everything that we've been taught. We forget it all. And we grieve the Holy Spirit. We turn a deaf ear to His counsel. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through God's Word. This, this right here is the coaching manual. But when anger controls our lives, we stop listening. It, it pushes Him out. And this is a friend we can't afford to alienate. Most of what we learned about anger this morning has come in the form of these these negative things, right? Don't do this, don't do that. But we're going to go out on a positive note. Some of us have been taught from childhood that the way to deal with anger is, is to suppress it, right? Just stuff it. We tell the kids, don't get angry, they're already mad. <laughs> Another kid does something. You see how angry they are. You tell them, Good, good girls, good boys don't get mad. Wow, that always works. <laughs> it works a little bit, but trying to suppress anger, it's like holding a trying to hold a big beach ball underwater. It just sooner or later it's gonna pop up. It's gonna pop up. But the other extreme are those who tell us to express our anger, right? There's, there's some thinking out there. We just go out in the woods and shout or scream or, I guess, tear something up. I don't know. Just, just ventilate, ventilate. You know, you can't yell at your boss, so go home and yell at your dog, I guess. I don't know. Yell at the trees, kick the dog. I was watching a news program on TV, told the story of a young woman, who had uh, been hurt by her family. Today, she's an angry poet. She recites intensely hostile verses to an audience in poetry clubs. Think of the old beatnik nightclubs. It's always angry. And from what I I saw, I would say it's not helping because the anger is always there. I think expressing it intensifies it because we get madder because we don't have any resolution so suppressing it just stuffing it expressing it no I think what we need to do is replace it we need to replace it with something else something far better with Jesus Christ and his qualities so in verse 31 Paul says get rid of Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Some say, well that's that's too simple. Right? Anger is is too complex to be addressed so simply. But we can choose, we can choose to follow another path. We can go in another direction because we're God's people. It may not be easy and it may take time, but it's possible. Paul says, "Don't choose anger, get rid of it." What do we replace it with? Well, in verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. We have to choose a different path because God has shown us a different path. Even even when we were not worthy, we could never be worthy, Jesus Christ gave Himself for us and he showed us kindness and compassion and not anger. This makes an eternal difference, not only in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us. An historian was, was making a study of the diaries of teenage girls from the past 150 years. And she looked at the differences between the, the older diaries and, and the ones today. The big difference is that in the past, the young girls were were more likely to put their struggles in a spiritual context, right? It was a spiritual battle. And they were more likely to pray and call upon God to help them to change, to help their character to develop. But today, that's not the case. People are counting on themselves, our own frail human effort. And so knowing Jesus Christ can give us, give us some benefits, two benefits that contribute to our lives. And the first is humility, seeing ourselves for who we truly are. Paul tells us in his closing verse that if we've experienced the forgiveness of God, if we have humbled ourselves before him, then it can be very difficult to be angry with others. Think of the truly humble people that you have known. Think about that. The other benefit that Christ brings to our lives is power. The power to do this. Where are we going to get the strength to change if not from God and knowing His Word and the Holy Spirit? We need to see ourselves as God sees us. Some people see themselves too big. Right? They're too big. And then it becomes a pride issue. And it's easy to be offended. Some people see themselves as, as too small. They don't count. But that's not true either. We need to have the right perspective. And God has made it possible through Jesus Christ to give us, give us another choice so that in this day and age, this age of rage, with all the, all the news stories and all the social media things going on and everything that we're hearing, that we as His people can live as children of light. Let me take a moment and pray with you. Heavenly Father, we have a choice. We have a choice in how we, how we should live. And it's not always easy. Our, our own personalities, our own personal characteristics. Some, some people, we, we can get quicker, quick more quickly get angry at others. We have to work through it. But it's possible because You've given us a choice through Your Son, Jesus Christ, to be kind and compassionate, forgiving, because You have, you have shown this to us. And Lord, Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise you, our Father in heaven. Lord, let let that light shine so that we can be a witness for you. It is such a hurting world, and we need to make a difference, not only here and now, but also for eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.